Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. And this week we have Katie Spees. She's the founder and CEO of Mave, which is a raw dog food brand. Um, it's been called a DTC dog food brand. There have been a few in this space. I love talking about pets. We've had many pet affiliated companies on this program, but I think that especially the food space is really interesting from a from a digital marketing and digital selling perspective. And I want to get into all of that. Um, it's a relatively new company, and they've been growing pretty rapidly. And we'll talk about all that. But Katie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So first, tell me about yourself. How did you end up in the dog food space? <laughs> yes, uh, I ended up here kind of accidentally. Um, so I founded Maeve in 2018. We didn't launch to the public until 2020. But back when I first got my dog, George, in 2014, um, I was not thinking about pet food at all. And then around six months after I adopted George, he started having seizures and our vets couldn't figure it out. We tried medication, we tried everything they recommended, and eventually they started asking a lot of questions about nutrition. So in 2015, I started making a homemade diet for my dog. I was making raw food at home. I saw his seizures clear up. I watched his health improve in about 30 days. And then there was nothing that would stop me from feeding him raw. Um, But I couldn't find anything on shelves. I couldn't find anything in stores that sort of met the vet's checklist of what George needed. And so I was making my own food for him for a few years and over time was making it for a couple of other people and then um, a lot of other people at some points. And eventually in 2018 realized that we need to, to actually make a change for all consumers and make it a lot easier to feed your dog a healthy diet. And that's when I set out and officially started working on Maeve full time. Wow. And what were you doing at the time before you were doing, you know, dog food making tests? Dog food making tests. So my background's in product development. Um, I was an engineer before this and worked in product in a few different startups, but wasn't really working in food. I was working in hardware products and uh, software products. Um, my, my biggest experience was working in agriculture and building tools for farmers to make easier decisions on their fields and working in the pet food space on the side to make dog, make, make dog food for George. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you this from the get go, just cause I'm interested in knowing this, but do they, do vets have an, like, do you know why George needed raw food? Is there a, a specific like reason? And so yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so um, there are a bunch of different ways to feed your dog. We've all seen many different diets in the pet food aisle from regular kibble to grain-free kibble to fresh food, raw food, dehydrated food. Um, For George, the issue that was causing his seizures and health issues all related to his gut health. So we know that raw food is the least processed diet for dogs. And when you think about gut health, it starts with the microbiome and the mix of good and bad bacteria that live in your dog's stomach. And when you change your dog's diet, whether you're changing it to a healthier food or a less healthy food, the microbiome resets to be able to digest that product down. And so when I was feeding George kibble, it was not very nutrient available. His Mm -hmm. gut wasn't able to actually absorb many nutrients from the food and his gut health really deteriorated. And that's what was causing a lot of his health issues. So switching to the least processed diet helped sort of detox his gut, reset his microbiome and He's doing a lot better now. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, So you launched in 2018, but didn't hit market till the end of 2020. 
what were those two years like? What were you doing? Yeah, so we, um, I officially incorporated in 2018, but we spent those two years in beta. So we were working with veterinary nutritionists. We were iterating on the actual formula of our first product. We had a beta going. So um, prior to officially starting Maeve, I spent a year as a dog walker. Um, and I was getting to know a lot of consumers and figuring out what their headaches were and also just needed a break from my job and wanted to be outside walking dogs. And so we had this great beta group. And for two years, we were in beta shipping product to consumers, getting tons of feedback and working with veterinary nutritionists to improve the formula. Wow. So the, the dog walking thing, was your beta group all of your clients then? And were you was that the idea that you were, I'm going to walk dogs, have fun, be outside, but also talk to them directly about what I'm doing? It was not so um, intentional. I wish it were. (laughs) Like looking back in hindsight, everything kind of lines up. And I wish I had spent way more of my time dog walking, thinking about this company and just started it earlier. But at the time, I I wanted a little bit of a break from my job. I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do next. And it sounded really pleasant to be outside walking dogs and get to know other people with dogs in my community. Um, It turned out it was really difficult to actually like figure out the logistics of how you even just break even, let alone make any money as a dog walker and support yourself. Um, so in the process, I got to know so many dog owners who had issues with nutrition or who were, or who were doing similar things to me. They were home making a, a dog food or feeding their dog extra supplements. And um, I learned a lot about the problems in the market and how difficult it is to just keep your dog healthy with the nutrition options on the shelf. But it wasn't so intentional as I wish it were. Um, and in the beta, I was lucky that I had met so many dog owners through dog walking and many of them had issues and were willing to beta test the product and give tons of feedback. So that really kickstarted our earliest community. Amazing. And so did you know from the get go that you wanted this? Cause you're mostly sold online, correct? That's right. Entirely online. Entirely online. So like, was that always the plan or was that just because that's the easiest way to find customers and not deal with the headaches of wholesale distribution. And I'm sure dog, like pet retail is its own can of worms that is difficult to get into and hurts your margins, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't have any experience building a, a retail business or working in a product business who sold retail. And so it was exactly the latter, like you described, selling online is the easiest way to reach customers and get to know them and improve your product because you have a direct relationship with customers. So um, over time, it turned out that that was the best first path for us. But originally, it was just the simplest path. Got it. And how did you find your beta testers? Yeah, so um, some of the earliest customers were people I had met through dog walking. And luckily, dog owners, they're extremely vocal. Most people are willing to talk about their dog incessantly. It's hard to get them to stop talking about their dog, which really plays into our favor because you can pick up a phone and have a really long in-depth conversation with somebody about their experience. Um, and they also, the modern dog owner, she, she relies on her community to just answer basic questions. So most of our earliest beta customers, they had a text thread with other people who either use the same dog walker or had puppies at the same time or friends of friends who gave them advice. And so our earliest beta customers, they referred their friends and they said, oh, I know somebody else who is experiencing a similar problem. Um, And that helped to grow the early community pretty quickly. Got it. What was the early feedback? How drastically did the product change from 2018 or 2017 or 2019 when you began giving it out to people to what it was when you launched in late 2020? 
Yeah. The, um, so the formula behind the product, the actual nutrition, the ingredients, the way the product looked and felt didn't shift much over time. We tweaked very minor things about the formula from the vet perspective and based on consumer feedback around how their dogs enjoyed the product or ingredients their dogs left in the bowl. Um, but the biggest changes happened on the packaging side. So when we first launched the beta, we were individually packaging each meal. We thought, you know, we keep hearing about the headaches of portioning and weight and uh, obesity is a huge issue in the pet population. 60% of dogs in the U.S. have a weight issue. And so portion size goes a really long way. Um, so in our earliest beta tests back in 2018 and 19, we were individually portioning the product and we had so many SKUs as a result because we had different SKUs for different sizes of dogs. Um, and over time, we found that consumers didn't actually love that. It made it easier to portion, but it made it a lot harder to learn how to use the product. And when we put the product just in a dog food bag, like most kibble that you buy in the store, it got so much easier. You just pour it directly out of the bag, just like you would with kibble. You have a better idea of how much food you're buying because you can see all of it in a bag. Um, it made it so much simpler and it saved freezer space and saved packaging too. So the biggest shifts were really just on the packaging side and how we presented the product, not on the actual formulation and food side. Yeah. I feel like a lot of brands, they, they try to offer as many choices as possible, which can be just a headache on the packaging side, on the SKU side. But I feel like people like having things told for them. They don't necessarily want that many choices. Yeah, we definitely found that. We, when we first set out, we thought, you know, people really want personalized products. Everyone's dog is very unique. And so if we can have everyone come in and take a quiz and personalize the product to them, that'll be really helpful. And over time, we found that decision fatigue is very real. <laughs> and the more that we can simplify things and remove the complexity for the user, the happier they were with the product. So how many SKUs did you launch with uh, when you launched to the public? When we So when we finally launched to the public in March 2020, we had four SKUs of raw food and we had two other products, a supplement product and a topper product. But it was much simpler than during any of the beta tests. Got it. And it was March 2020 when you launched? Yeah, we launched one week before the U.S. shut down. <laughs> all right. I'm sure we'll get into all of that. But so like, let's let's do let's talk about how 2020 went. You're in an interesting space because pet ownership skyrocketed. And so I imagine exactly. that played in your favor and also stores shut down. I imagine that also played in your favor. How much did you have in your warehouses? Did you guys sell out pretty instantly? Like walk, walk me through all of that. Yeah. So 2020 ended up being a great year for pet products. Um, one in four Americans got a dog during the first year of COVID. So pet ownership skyrocketed and more and more people started purchasing pet products and grocery products online, which is really helpful for companies like us selling pet products online. Um, when we first launched during those first few months of COVID, um, times were really scary. There was a lot of uncertainty. People didn't know what was happening in the economy. We didn't know if consumer spending would be impacted by, by COVID and the, the macro climate. Um, and it was difficult just to keep our manufacturing facility up and running because it was a, a scary time in the world pre-vaccine. We didn't know how to keep people safe and what the right protocol was. So for the first month or two, there was just a lot of uncertainty and it made it difficult to actually celebrate the launch. But by around June and July, we started selling through product extremely quickly, and we had built processes to keep our manufacturing up and running safely. Um, so throughout that first summer of COVID, we had this um, bittersweet problem of selling through product really quickly, getting to know customers who really wanted the product, um, 
and more and more dog owners shopping online. So we had no trouble finding customers and no trouble marketing to customers. The trouble was really just keeping inventory on the shelves in our uh, facility and running a facility to continue producing product despite COVID happening in the world. Did you have to, how big was your facility or were you sharing a facility? What are you in now? Yeah. So when we first launched, we were running out of a, basically a test kitchen. So we were sharing a kitchen with a bunch of other food companies. We were based in New York city. And so we had this facility, um, in Queens and, uh, running a facility during the earliest days of COVID. Um, it was, it was just hard to even have enough space in there. So we knocked down a few walls. We expanded multiple times from that first launch day in March, 2020 through 2021, Eventually, we were big enough to move into a contract manufacturer and migrate all of our supply chain to third-party partners who are much bigger than we are and able to actually scale with us. Um, So we made that move in 2021, and we were just sort of like bursting at the seams each month between March 2020 and the official move date in 21. Yeah, it seems like the, I imagine the, I guess the growth evolution or that's not the correct way of saying it, but the the evolution of a brand is such that you do it very small in-house in an unscalable way, then you grow, and then you get as many third-party partners who can help you scale. And then ideally you'll reach that time when then you're like, oh, we need to bring it all in-house again, but at a much bigger scale. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, no, we're gonna say something? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how we thought about it. We knew that we were doing so many unscalable things and eventually we would just need to shift the the way that we are doing them. But as long as the product is working, that's the proof point that we were looking for. So I want to ask you a question about, I guess it's a marketing question, but it's also just a positioning. It's it, it's a leadership question, I guess. Um, you're in a you're in a product that is replenishable, and you were dealing with it selling through and having shortcomings on the supply chain and having issues with that. And I know that you guys sell subscriptions, and you you try to you know you want people to be getting it every month, I imagine. So how do, how do you walk that balance where do you, do you focus specifically on your existing customers? How do you onboard new customers? Are you making sure that you are going to be able to have enough product available such that if someone joins and then says, I want this again, they won't be shut out and not be able to buy the new food again? Yeah, that's exactly it. And in the earliest days, that complexity was a huge headache because it was just a few people in a room with Google Sheets documents. Um, but we, we basically thought of it very similarly to what you outlined. The existing subscribers, we need to protect their supply first. And um, you in planning inventory, we needed to plan inventory just to fulfill existing orders and the expectation of next month and the month after that's orders. And then figure out how much room we have to actually grow the customer base on top of that based on any inventory that's left over. Um, Doing that in a spreadsheet is pretty simple, but doing it when you're actually fulfilling orders and you have some orders going to new customers and some orders going to existing customers and you need to prioritize some over the other, it gets pretty complicated if you're managing self-fulfilling. Yes, I can imagine. I imagine customer acquisition during the first few months was, I don't want to say easy, nothing's ever easy, but you were dealing with a time when there was heightened demand, people were looking for things online, and also customer acquisition costs were extremely low. So when would you say you started really focusing on customer acquisition uh, after all of the the craziness of the pandemic seemed to subside in a certain way? Yeah, um, the pandemic gave so many tailwinds to companies marketing to consumers online. But for us, since we had just launched, we still had to figure out what value prop actually mattered to consumers. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a set of ads on Facebook that were working really well. So 
we were kind of solving two problems at once. We had to figure out what worked and what worked best. And we had to stand up an ad account from zero to some amount of money in a very short period of time. And so um, I would actually say that earliest customers were some of the hardest to acquire, even though the market was in a much better position then to acquire customers efficiently on Facebook and Google, because we just, we had so many tests to run and so much to learn, even though we had run the beta. Um, and so that learning phase of turning on paid marketing, it, I wish it had happened six months before pandemic hit and we could have monetized the frenzy so much easier. Um, but over time, once you found, once we found the ads that actually worked and we found the messages that made the most sense to consumers, then we got to take advantage of more and more consumers shopping online, um, paid ads being much more efficient than, than they are today. Um, and then you can just scale that until it breaks and then rebuild it from there. Got it. Got it. And what have you found recently, or let's say in the last year, what are the channels that are working the best for you? What have you been putting more of an emphasis on? Yeah. So we think about the paid marketing channels kind of like table stakes. We don't want to rely too heavily on them, but we do need them. We know that they work. Um, so we, we definitely use Facebook and Google. We've leaned into TikTok recently, and that's been working really well, especially for pet content and people who are on TikTok with a dog. Um, and then we found that just sort of like going back to our roots of guerrilla marketing is really interesting for our com community. When we first launched and we were in that beta, we were doing a lot of like wheat paste and postering in New York. Our office was there, our team was there. And so um, building a community of people on an email list who are willing to beta test, it worked really well with just posters in the city. Um, we recently ran a, a wheat paste in the wild campaign and it was really great at actually activating communities. People are back on the streets. They're not stuck inside. They're going outdoors with their pet. Um, and so that's been working well, too. And it kind of couples with the paid marketing and it makes it a little more efficient. And was that just you guys doing it yourself, printed some stuff out, put it on construction buildings or whatever? Yeah. In the earliest days, that's exactly what it was. It was like we had four people in a WeWork. We were using way more of the printer space than we should have <laughs> as a tiny office in the building. Um, and it worked really well because our posters were eye-catching, people wanted to get involved, and it was a small community where every new person who joined made a big difference. Um, after a few years of COVID, I think people are really hungry for something like that again. And so this time we partnered with a, an agency and we got it done in four cities across the U.S. Um, the posters were a lot cleaner this time than they were when we were just like rogue stapling them up throughout the city. But it's kind of the same concept, just at a little better scale. When you do, you know, so something like that, how do you do you do you, how do you look at uh, acquisition or excuse me attribution? Attribution. Yeah. So, like, is it just that you are in a city that you don't have a, a huge amount of of volume in, and then you saw volume? What, how did you try and track that? Because I imagine it's, a lot of it is just so organic, and someone sees it, and maybe two hours later they'll Google you or something. Yeah, that's exactly the problem. And iOS 14 has made attribution difficult across the board. So even trying to nail attribution on a Facebook ad isn't as easy as it used to be. So what we basically look at with our wheat paste posters or any sort of like in-person activation where there's not a dashboard with metrics to look at, um, we look at the, the baseline traffic in that city the day before it went live, and then the baseline average after it was live or while it was live. And we just kind of it's a mix of art and science, but we attribute the difference then back to the wheat paste posters. And we try to hold all other variables stable during that time to actually measure something. 
Um, but attribution is really difficult kind of across the board, whether you're looking at a Facebook paid ad or an in-person activation. Um, there's a guessing game to both. What did you find doing this analysis on the wheat pasting in these four cities? Yeah, we found that they were really impactful and they're much cheaper, obviously, than Facebook and Google. The biggest concern we had is that our, pro our product is a pretty complex one. There's a lot of education. It's a very highly considered product. You usually don't change your dog's food more than once or twice in their life. So with a Facebook ad, you at least get a place where they can click through and read every detail they would want about the product. With a poster that somebody is walking past in the city in their commute, you get a lot less real estate to market to them and you get a lot less educational information to hand them. Um, we found that the the traffic to the site actually picked up quite a bit. And the, we look at like the equivalent CPM, the equivalent cost per, per eyeball to the site was much more efficient than a Facebook or a Google. Um, but you kind of need both channels to work hand in hand because somebody might see the poster a couple of times in their commute and then Google Mave. And so we track things like traffic, we track um, organic search volumes to see if more people are just Googling the brand or Googling some of our brand terms. And we found that the posters actually work really well, which is exciting for us because then it's a new channel that we can lean into that is really branded. And how, like, what, what did the poster say to just say raw dog food Mave? What, what did you find worked so that you were able to tell your story in as few words as possible? Yeah, you get very little real estate, so you have to be extremely concise. Um, we, we did a mix of product photography and lifestyle photography. So um, lifestyle for us is a really fun shoot to run. It's a bunch of dogs in a room eating food with their owners and we just bring a camera in. It's really great. And so um, we did a mix of like simple lifestyle photography where we capture a dog and their owner connecting with the food in front of them. And then product photography where you just really cleanly see what's different about our product. Um, it's, it's very visually different from most dog foods. It looks like real cubes of beef and vegetables and blueberries. Um, so it's visually like a very beautiful product, even though it's a pet food. Um, and then we just, I think the easiest messaging is the most simple. It's raw dog food made easy. If anybody is out in the city and they struggle with a picky eater or their dog has a health issue and they're thinking about changing their diet, one of the biggest hurdles is that healthier foods are really difficult. They're, they're inaccessible to most people, either from a price perspective or a convenience and amount of time perspective, just to thaw and prep the food. Um, or an education perspective. You need to set aside time to actually understand if something's better for your dog, if it's going to work for you. And so um, raw dog food made easy is kind of our tagline. And that works really well because people, most people have heard about raw food, but they associate it with this extremely expensive, complex thing that is probably out of their reach. Um, but simple messaging, clean photography, that works really well. So talk to me about growth. How has growth been the last year? Um, and what have, what have your focuses been on? Has it just been on customer acquisition or has it been more on increasing, you know, do, new types of products, et cetera? Yeah. Growth is always a balancing act for us. Um, we think about growth very sustainably compared to most direct consumers. Um, most direct to consumer companies in like 2016 through 18, they prioritized growth over profitability or sustainability or the customer's experience and retention. Um, for us, we think that building a sustainable business that acquires a customer who loves the product so much they stick for life and they want to rave about it, that is sort of the proof of concept we've always been after. Um, growth has been going really well for us. We've tripled in size this year alone. We've tripled our subscriber base in 2022 since January. Um, 
we typically grow roughly 15% month on month, which is a really fast growth rate for us. And the struggle is always like, how do you deliver the best in class customer experience, knowing that we're going to need to grow the team, we need to build more inventory, we need to deliver on a lot of checkboxes um, with a pretty small group of people behind the scenes at Maeve. Um, and the biggest proof point for us when we try to think about like that best in class customer experience, it's retention. That's the easiest way to measure it. Um, some people look at NPS or reviews and we look at those, but retention is always the best proof point for us. And we have best in class retention for a direct consumer company. Our customers, once they try the product, they are really, really sticky. They become obsessed with it. And so, um, the first box retention is one of the easiest ways to measure that our first box retention is around 95%. Whereas a lot of our competitors in direct consumer pet food, their first box retention is in the fifties or Mm sixties. So um, we try to just build an extremely sticky product that people enjoy so much that they want to come back month after month. And if they do that, it makes growth a lot easier because I don't need to acquire 30% of my customers this month. Most of them come from last month's and the month before that. Um, which helps a lot with revenue growth. Yeah, that certainly does. Do you find, are you are you in very intentionally pushing people towards subscriptions or is that just something that after you have a first month rebuy, they're likely, you know, I, I will try and make this more set it and forget it? Yeah, we very intentionally push people to subscriptions and we're really only able to do that because pet food has a natural subscription tendency. Once you switch your dog's food from, your old food to a new food, you have to stick with it. You have to feed your dog the same product day in and day out, or else it does cause gut health issues. And transitioning your dog happens very intentionally over the course of about a week um, to wean them off of the old food and onto the new food. And so because of sort of the nature of our category, subscription works really well. And most people want a subscription. Chewy and Amazon have also broken down the barriers of, of fear of subscriptions for us too. And so a lot more consumers in pet are naturally inclined to subscribe than they would be in other categories of CPG. Well, you mentioned Chewy and Amazon, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk about next. So what is what is distribution growth and channel growth for Maeve? Is it always going to be only online? Will you be in any stores? How are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's a great question. So we always talk about meeting the customer where she shops. And we know that most people shop for their pet food in stores. Some people shop for their pet food on Chewy, Amazon, Petco.com, places like that, these online marketplaces. And then there's some percentage of consumers who are willing to go to a a brand's personal website like meetmave.com and shop there. So we started with the latest one because that's the easiest. We started with just our own e-com site. Moving into those marketplaces, that's next on our list. Um, We know that those places have a lot of eyeballs. Consumers are going there specifically with the intention of shopping for their dog's products. So showing up there as a novel brand and one of the unique brands in our space, we think that'll work really well for us. Um, One of those marketplaces is launching in the next six months, which is really exciting for us. So that'll be our first new channel. And then eventually the goal is ultimately retail. We know that people shop in person, they discover brands in person. The nature of retail is changing, but for CPG, the, the pet food aisle is not going anywhere in retail. And so um, putting our products on shelves is the ultimate goal. We just think that it'll take a few years to get there. And so building out the customer base here first works well. How are you approaching price point for going into an e-com pet marketplace? Because I imagine 
you you know you're a differentiated pro- product you're a premium product you're probably more expensive than purina so is it are you going to be trying to make your your product more affordable or how, how are you thinking about that we always set out with mave to make healthy diets accessible and that comes in price point that comes in the convenience factor um, it hits a few different form factors that we build into the brand and product but Accessibility has always been our goal, which means that the price point has to be accessible to the masses. I don't think we'll ever compete directly with Purina's price point. A lot of the sort of mainstream kibble brands that are not premium kibble, they're designed to be as affordable as possible and and it affects the ingredient quality, it affects the product quality, it affects your shelf life. And so we're not trying to compete there, but we do try to be more accessible than fresh foods and definitely more accessible than the other raw foods in the shelf. So Raw food and dehydrated food tends to be one of the most expensive diets for dogs. And Mave is the first human-grade raw food, which makes it a lot easier from a food safety perspective, and we try to be the most accessible raw food. So somebody who's feeding a Purina or a Blue Buffalo who's wanted to switch to something better, hopefully Mave makes that switch as easy as possible from a, a price point and a convenience factor. Got it, got it. Makes sense. We're, we're almost running out of time, but I have many more questions, and I'll try and truncate them to a few. But um, I know that... I think we wrote about this actually, um, but you, you guys do product bundles. How do you approach that? Why you did that? And is that a one-off thing? Is that going for someone specific with a specific pro- problem? Or are you looking to sort of feed people into those bundles as also part of your recurring revenue? Yeah, it's a great question. So back to what we talked about with personalization, we know that customers have uh, very unique sets of criteria that they look for. And in the earliest days, we had this inkling that customers wanted personalized, curated products. And in our beta tests, we, we found that what we initially offered wasn't quite it, this like um, portion size specific personalization with um, every element of the product being as personalized as possible. When we peeled back the layers of what consumers actually want, we found that they want a curated set of products that have some scientific evidence that they solve their needs. Um, so we found that there were roughly eight sort of core needs that were really common in our community of customers. Um, And people wanted to make it easy to make the decision. So instead of having that decision fatigue that we talked about earlier, where too many things are personalized, the customer has to make too many decisions and give us too much information. We wanted to build a curated set of products for these eight really common needs. And so we worked with the vet team and we said, okay, one of the needs, for example, is like a reactive dog. Um, what are the products that that dog most often would need? And we made the bundles um, specifically designed against this like semi-personalization request that we were finding. Um, bundles work really well for us. It, it makes it much easier for the consumer to put everything they want in their cart with just one button. It makes it much easier for us as well because um, it's a simpler page to build on the website and it's a simpler set of value props to market. They work the same way from a subscription perspective. It's just a slightly higher AOV and it's one subscription versus multiple. Got it. Got it. And do you find that it's the same percentage of people who are subscribers to your bundles than they are to your individual products? Yeah, it's very similar. Um, We recently launched bundles. They launched in March or April. So bundles aren't nearly as popular as the mainstream subscription just yet but people are uptaking them at a similar rate. Um, They seem really popular so far, so we'll continue to lean into it. Got it. All right. And so what is your focus for the rest of the year? Um, You mentioned uh, a new e-commerce marketplace in the next six months will be available on. 
uh, is that where your number one focus is? Or are you thinking about product expansion or mass marketing? What's on your mind? Yeah, there are three big things on our mind. Number one is product expansion. One of the biggest requests we have gotten from day one from customers is to launch a chicken product. Chicken's the most popular protein in America for dogs and for humans. Um, chicken actually launches this week on our website. So that is um, a huge push that the team has had. That's our first product launch since March, 2020. Um, so launching chicken and getting our chicken raw food into the hands of consumers, that's definitely the biggest priority. Um, the second biggest thing that we're working on is same day shipping so that you can purchase your product online and get it later that day or early the next day. Um, that's another big request that we've gotten. And then that third one is what you said around launching another marketplace so we can meet more shoppers where they shop. Oh, I want to ask an addendum to the same day or next day. Who are you working with or what are you trying to work with? Are you doing that in-house? We're working with partners. We haven't chosen a final partner yet. We're talking to a handful of them. But a variety of these companies have cropped up throughout the U.S. with micro fulfillment centers. So you hold your product in a new fulfillment center and then they use courier networks for the most part to deliver it same day to consumers. So it helps us on fulfillment, too, because there's no dry ice, there's no box, there's way less packaging waste and it gets there faster. And would this need to be nationally available or would you look at I know that there are some micro fulfillment centers that are, you know, in L.A., San Francisco, New York. Is that what you're looking at? Or are you looking at? you know, someone in Duluth could be able to get it the next day too. No offense to Duluth. Yeah, no offense to Duluth. I'm from Kansas City, so I can't wait for it to roll out <laughs> nationwide. Um, but for starters, we'll launch it in select cities. We found that our consumers are in semi-urban and urban environments most often. And so we'll launch to some of the biggest cities in our customer base first and sort of roll it out as a pilot from there. Amazing. All right, Katie, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.